Most people know little about Goodwill beyond their stores and donation centers, but the money spent in these stores and centers funds a range of job training and social services for high schoolers, veterans, adults with disabilities, and people needing second chances. Success looks very different for every person. Sometimes they want to start their own business. Sometimes they just want a job that pays a livable wage. They can get their kids back. They can focus on themselves. Sometimes they want to be a CEO. So it's really just letting them tell us what the parameters are for what success looks like to them and us helping them get there. I'm Matt Pikin. Occasionally on The Overlook, I spotlight a local social service nonprofit and the work they do. I was surprised to learn recently that some of that work comes from Goodwill Industries. My guests today are Lance Crawford, Jordan Meeks, and Samantha Randolph. They're responsible for just some of the social service programming of Goodwill's Northwest North Carolina chapter. They'll talk about the community needs their work addresses, how the pandemic affected that work, and Goodwill's comprehensive approach to putting people on paths of success in and out of the workforce. Want to see some fantastic theater for free? There are four remaining productions on the Magnetic Theater's 2023 calendar, and we're randomly giving away two pairs of tickets to each of them. Just sign up for the Overlook's weekly newsletter. Anyone subscribed by the end of April is eligible. Go to podavl.com, that's P-O-D-A-V-L.com, and scroll to the bottom of the homepage. Plug in your name and email address on the newsletter sign-up form, and you might become a new fan of the Magnetic Theater thanks to The Overlook. In 2021, the Northwest North Carolina chapter of Goodwill Industries served 38,000 people across 31 counties. I began the conversation by asking my guests how people come into Goodwill's social service programs. Samantha Randolph is the first to speak. Some of it depends on our different programs, but like for career connections, we have our Asheville Center and our Waynesville Center. We take appointments and we take walk-ins, but a lot of it comes from community partnerships. So if people go to a resource where there's housing, but they also need work, they might refer them over to us, or they might just hear about what we do by word of mouth. And then for something like Project Reentry, it focuses on people who are justice involved. And part of that involves an in-prison curriculum while they're still inside to help them transition out. So they leave knowing about us. Let's talk about Project Reentry a little bit. So are the people coming from county jails, city? Where are they coming from to you? Sure. So currently we are about to start a new course in Western Regional Correctional Center for Women in Swannanoa. It used to be Swannanoa Correctional, and it's a 16-week curriculum focused on helping them transition. So they have to be within, I believe, 18 months of release before they're eligible to take it. And it focuses on things like budgeting, healthy relationships, work, all those things that it's good to get a head start on before you make that drastic change back into regular life. That's kind of interesting that you put it that way because it seems like it's not just job training, but it's kind of life training. Are the people who come in through the Rianchi program, do you see that they are hungry for work or do you take people who are starting on a ground floor and get them not just job trained, but in the headspace to work and lead a productive life outside? Sure, that's a great question. So a lot of them are eager for change and a better life. Sometimes that focuses on career. Sometimes that focuses on reconnecting with their family, usually which they need like income to do. So the income part and the work part comes in different ways. But what we find they need the most is help learning 
control over their lives again. For so long, they felt like they don't have choices, they don't have options. They've been told what to do each and every day for many of them several years, even decades at times. And they feel like they don't have power anymore. And it's a lot of work in rebuilding them and making them feel confident and empowered again to take those steps to take their life back. Is that all that sort of counseling and shaping and educating happening in-house in Goodwill? Yes. Wow, that's pretty interesting. Is part of your job like needs assessing and seeing where is this particular person at in terms of what their specific needs are and then funneling the right resources within Goodwill to them? Yes, a lot of what we do across all of our programs, but especially Project Dream Tree is resource navigation, because typically people will come in and they'll need a job, but they'll also need food or they'll need housing or they'll need childcare assistance. And for a lot of those services, you need some kind of provable income to be eligible for them. So it's showing them like, here's how you connect with a resource. Here are questions you ask a resource if you've never done that before. Here's how to find your way through that red tape. Part of the re-entry, I would imagine, not I imagine, I'm sure, takes people who are on the hiring end to want to hire people, have the conditions or things that people who are hiring or looking for, has that evolved over time? Where is it, is it harder for people through the reentry program to get work now than it used to be? So there was a big distinction with COVID. Before COVID, a lot of places had very tight background policies where unless it was like something minor from 20 years ago, you would have a hard time getting in. But with COVID, there was a huge reduction in workforce, available workers, a lot of people had numerous barriers, and we saw employers really opening up and then seeing, wow, this population is eager to work, they're ready to prove themselves, they're very loyal, and seeing that there, there are so many benefits that come from giving people a chance, giving them an opportunity to prove themselves as they would with any other employee. So we have seen that open up quite a bit and seeing more employers looking at people on an individual basis and not making a judgment call before they even have a conversation with them. Are there certain categories of jobs that you focus on? We focus on whatever the participant is interested in. So we very much want the participant to guide the process. Success looks very different for every person. Sometimes they want to start their own business. Sometimes they just want a job that pays a livable wage. They can get their kids back. They can focus on themselves. Sometimes they want to be a CEO. So it's really just letting them tell us what the parameters are for what success looks like to them and us helping them get there. That's pretty amazing that you'll take it at wherever level they are, including entrepreneurship. Can you give me a, an example of somebody who's come through your program that might surprise, you don't have to use names, but just a situation that might surprise everyday listeners? Sure. I would say we get a fair amount of people who are justice involved who want to start nonprofits, especially when it comes to something like motivational speaking, where people can learn from their mistakes. They're really passionate about showing people what not to do so that they can have a better chance. Lance, tell me a little more granularly about what you do. Sure. So as the director of workforce development, I really oversee mission services for this part of the state. So five different counties really lead the operations for a variety of programs. This talked about reentry and career connections, but we have other programs that aren't just job centric. We have community access, which is a program for adults with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Can you talk about that a little bit? What, a program <clears throat> for what? Like, it, how do you work with these people? Yeah, the ultimate goal for that program is to provide these folks with a meaningful day. And that can look really different for each individual. Some folks go out in the community and volunteer. We have an individual in that program who 
goes out every week to help prepare meals for those who are in need of a meal. We have folks who prefer to do art projects or go community networking. So we'll uh, take a group out to the Arboretum or the Nature Center and really all about integrating them into society. We don't want this population to be considered as a separate group. We want them integrated not only into what we do here at Goodwill, but also in the community at large. Do they come to you at all levels of disability and and challenge? So from minor to where they can be integrated into sort of a workforce program and some of the other things you do here to a more like severe intervention that you have to do with some of these people? It really depends on the individual. Some folks who, who may come in with a disability can get great services from our career connections. If they're a job seeker, they're looking for employment, and we can connect with other organizations who can assist with that. We've connected with vocational rehabilitation to help folks get accommodations if needed for a job. But in the community access program, most of the folks in there don't hold a job. It's more about, I mentioned the meaningful day. So it's more about art projects, exercising, getting out in the community. Jordan, tell me a little more about what you do and how does that overlap with what we've already heard? Yeah, so I have three separate youth programs, like I said. One of them is based in the high schools, so we're in every Buncombe County High School. We're also in Madison High in Transylvania. So we do a student development program. It's called One Life, and there's two parts. The first part, it takes place during their second semester, so students meet with our staff once a week for 45 minutes, and we talk about different life skills, job readiness skills, so anything from budgeting and money management to forgiveness and healthy relationships and leadership skills and all these different things. Each week, we centered around a different topic. And then over the summer with that program, they get a paid internship in the community. So based on what the student wants to do career-wise, we reach out to local businesses and we connect them and Goodwill actually pays their, their hourly rate. Is Goodwill's involvement in the schools in part because schools, A, they understand the need, but B, they don't have the resources themselves? Yeah, both of those things. This program was created in-house about 10 years ago, and it was really centered around what did we wish we had been taught when we were in high school that high schools just don't teach. I didn't have anyone when I was 16, 17 teaching me about healthy and abusive relationships or budgeting. It's a very wide range of things we go over, but it's all things that the youth need to be learning or at least having that conversation with them to start. And the schools see the value in it, and they don't have the capacity to do it themselves. What are the challenges with working with young people today that might be different than it might have been in my generation or your generation? What's changed that presents a challenge to helping kids who are very screen-centric understand what it means to build relationships and by extension be responsible in the workforce? Yeah, obviously social media and cell phones and all that has had a huge impact on that age range. So we've actually created a communications module. That's something that we've done within the past year because we've seen the need because students don't know how to communicate face-to-face. They want to text. They don't even want to like call and leave a voicemail. So it's just having to pivot and see where we're seeing the struggles with that communication barrier and just try to guide them through that process. I imagine a lot of parents would want to know how you guys do what you do because they probably throw their hands up. My kids are on screen all the time. Mm -hmm. Give us a sense of some of the specific things you try to teach and that you have to Some of the hurdles you have to clear with young people to get them to understand and embrace what you're trying to teach. 
Yeah, I think honest, to be perfectly honest, the first thing is it's not, I'm coming from a mentorship role, not a parent role. I remember when I was a teen and the advice that my parents tried to give me, I was a lot more hesitant to listen to. So I think that's helpful a lot there. These students have chosen to be in the programs. Oh, they um, have. They have. They, there's an application process. They get interviewed. Um, we end up picking between 10 and 15 students at each school to be in it. So they've really put their foot forward and shown that they want to be in it. They want to learn. 10 to 15 at any given time. Is this for the semester, the year? How long is their time in this program? It's 14 weeks is the first part. So the in-school portion, it takes up almost their entire second semester. And then the internship takes place over the summer and that's about a hundred hours and they can break that up how it fits with their schedule best. And it seems with only 14 or 15 seats available, it's a competitive process to get in? It is. We've seen numbers decrease a little bit from COVID. Just the motivation is not there as much. So we're having to come up with more creative ways to recruit in the schools. How but do you do that? We go into classrooms. So we have partners with the counseling department at every school and they handpick. We go to a lot of the CTE classes or the career technical education classes and just talk about the program. Like high school student hears you can make a thousand dollars over the summer. That perks their attention pretty well. <laughs> What has changed about your work in a day-to-day -day sense from what life was like before 2020? I think for a lot of us before COVID, it was we expected people to come to us, to our centers, and now there's a lot more variety in reaching out to people within the community, so partnering with other resources and meeting them on site, because for now, so many people have been through so many different struggles, and honestly, especially the parents are exhausted, and when they go into one building, ideally, they would like to have all their questions answered or all their needs met from one place and not have to track down five different resources, especially if they've had to take the day off from work or had to get childcare. So we're really trying to form more of a solid community where we go to them rather than expecting them to always come to us. Yeah, I think COVID taught us a lot about how we can serve people not in person. When we got catapulted in the, into the pandemic, a lot of our programs went to virtual services. So we were serving like the cohort of One Life through a Zoom call. And that worked really well for a while once everyone was getting used to that. And then Zoom fatigue came into picture and as we're spending most of the day, if they were doing virtual school on Zoom, and then we were asking them to attend another Zoom, we found that a lot of folks became a little more disengaged and we were all isolated in society for a couple of years. And so... Moving forward, we're taking what we've learned from the pandemic and the virtual services and the virtual communication, the Zoom meetings, to create a model that is a hybrid. It includes the in-person services, but we can also meet with folks through Zoom. Now, Goodwill operates these kinds of job training, reentry, youth programs all over the country, correct? So do you have a sense of what's different or distinctive about the needs of the people you serve here in Western North Carolina than what they're doing, say, in Atlanta or Baltimore or anywhere else. I think what's interesting about us, specifically in Western North Carolina, is the majority is rural. But then we have Asheville, which is just this huge hub for tourism and hospitality. And it's interesting that it's just that little bubble surrounded by all these really rural areas. So you get people who they can't afford necessarily to live in Asheville unless they get a very high paying job, which a lot of hospitality and tourism jobs are are working to catch up with that livable wage. And then from the rural counties, you have issues like transportation where buses might not go out there or they might not run on a consistent schedule or something like Lyft or Uber doesn't go all the way out there. So I think it's just an interesting geography of where to be. And then you have the mountains that come in where sometimes access to like Wi-Fi or strong cell phone service might not always be available. What else would surprise 
people locally who don't have who don't intersect with your programs? What would what do you think would surprise them to know that you do on the ground here in the community? I think one of the biggest things I hear is when you go into the retail store and they ask you to round up or you hear job training, you hear all these buzzwords and things. I think a lot of people think that's going back into our employees and it's going back into the community. Like when we're job training, we're helping people in the community that need jobs and providing training for that, not necessarily for the employees at Goodwill. Oh, you mean just the term when people hear it, like they're in the Goodwill outlet and they hear job training, they just assume that means internal job training. I think so, because I think I was guilty of that too before I started working here. I just didn't really understand what that meant. And the roundup too, all of that is going towards the mission side of Goodwill, which is to help people in the community get jobs at the end of the day. I think something from the participant perspective is not a lot of people who don't need these services. They don't necessarily understand how hard it can be to get the kind of support that we offer. A lot of people assume, oh, everyone knows how to make a resume. Everyone knows how to interview well. No. Some people, their schools didn't teach it. They didn't have any mentor or family member who guided them in these things. And they don't necessarily have an easy way to learn how to do this. They don't know where to even get the information or what questions to even ask to begin. So a lot of what we do, especially in the career centers, is just creating a safe space where you can ask these questions and you don't have to feel stupid. And you're not assumed that just because you don't know it, that's something shameful. Give us a sense of some of the partnerships you do with other entities locally. So one of our strongest partnerships under like kind of my umbrella is with a recovery center. So they actually have contracted jobs built in already, but a lot of their participants don't necessarily know like how to make a resume or something like conflict resolution. So that's when we come in and we do workshops with them on here's how to communicate in the workplace. Here's if you get into an argument with a coworker, here's how to handle that really professionally and not feel like that relationship is ruined forever. What are some things people locally can do, aside from shop at Goodwill, to support your programming? From my end, if any businesses would be interested in hosting an intern, because two out of my three programs have internships involved where we pay, like I said, their hourly rate. So it's really just a matter of me trying to get the word out that businesses could get free help, essentially. Really? And the opportunity to mentor a young adult in their specific career field of interest. So if one of your interns might be a social media guru, and there's a young podcast out there that might need some social media, <laughs> uh-huh. you might be able to get some internships. Yes, you might. Yep. That's <laughs> good exactly to right. Good to know. So we also have skills training, which does everything from nurse aid to electronic health records to serve safe and it offers these classes or certifications with ab tech just done within our building most of the time and almost i want to say 95 percent at least of participants are able to get scholarships for it and have everything covered I want to thank today's guests, Lance Crawford, Jordan Meeks, and Samantha Randolph of the Northwest North Carolina chapter of Goodwill Industries, where we recorded our conversation. By the way, Goodwill Industries is throwing the 7th annual Color Me Goodwill April 21st at the Orange Peel. It's a fashion show featuring six designers who have come through Goodwill's programs, working exclusively with material coming from Goodwill stores for their designs. 
The Overlook is a production of Podcast Asheville. Don't forget, we're giving away two pairs of tickets to the rest of the Magnetic Theater's productions for 2023. To be eligible, just sign up for our weekly newsletter at podavl.com. Also, please vote for The Overlook as Best Podcast and for me as your favorite radio host in Mountain Express's Best of WNC survey. I'm Matt Pikin, and I'll see you on the next episode of The Overlook.